this reading second from Matthew chapter 7. It's on page 1014 in this few Bible. Uh, reading verses 15 to 23. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. This reading is from Matthew, chapter 5, verses 1 to 16. It's on page 1010 in the Pew Bibles. The Beatitudes. Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. This is the word of God. Uh, Let's turn to God in prayer and ask him for his help that we might understand the greatest sermon ever. Gracious Heavenly Father, we know that your word is active and living and is sharper than any double-edged sword. And so we pray, Lord, that you'll pierce our hearts as we hear you speak through the words of the Lord Jesus. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, what is the best life? What does the best life look like? So I want you to think about that. What does the best life look like? What's, what's a life you imagine and dream of when you're awake and 
and just wanting and thinking about how good your life can be. Well, wouldn't it be something like this, perhaps? Coming home to a home like this. Now, I don't know if that looks impressive to you, but this was my friend's home. He's a developer, and this went off on auction just last Saturday, about $2.7 million in Bourne. Wouldn't it be nice to come home to a house like that? You know, in this home, you don't get one kitchen, you get two kitchens. The main kitchen, well, that's the one with all the expensive appliances. Everything's just pristine and clean. You don't cook in that kitchen. (laughs) You know, you can't dirty that kitchen. That's really just for show. Because in the pantry, which is as big as my bedroom, you've got another kitchen. That's where you do all your dirty cooking. Isn't that the best life? Come home to a house like that. A life of crazy wealth. Well, this last week, I'm not sure if you saw this article, in the Global Wealth Report, Australians are amongst the richest in the world. Do you know that? The richest in the world. In fact, the median wealth of an adult Australian is the highest in the world. More than the Americans, more than the Swiss, more than the Europeans. So in this article, what we find is the median wealth, so that's the midpoint, of Australian adults stands at $233,000. So those of you turning 18, well, that's what you have to look forward to. The average wealth of Australians is number two in the world, just behind the Swiss, at four hundred and almost $430,000. That's the best life, isn't it? I mean, we've got it here in Australia. We've got the best life. And when life goes well, when I don't have a worry at all in life, when my studies are going well, when my career is going well, when girls like me, when, when I have over 500 Facebook friends, when people just want to be around me to get a whiff of my manhood, <laughs> then I have the best life. I get what I want. So is that what the best life looks like? Well, perhaps in the eyes of the world, something like that. But today as we consider the greatest sermon ever preached, not obviously my sermon, but the sermon of Jesus, we will be in for a shock. It will be like a ton of bricks dropping on us today because when we hear Jesus teach, it's not the way the world thinks. In fact, it's not even how Christians often think. And that's because Christians, us, we so often and very sadly blend right into this world. So you can't even tell who are the Christians and who aren't. So what is the best life? Well, today we will see that from God's eyes, from God's perspective, and we'll answer three questions. Firstly, what does the best life look like? The second question, who are the ones who have the best life? And the third question, what difference does having this life make on this world? So three questions. The first one, what is the best life? Who gets it and what difference does it make? And so the first question, what does it look like to have the best life according to God? Well, in this greatest sermon, Jesus was sitting on a mount. There was a crowd before him and he was teaching them. And he was in a sense saying, you want the best life? Well, you must be blessed by God. You want the best life? You must be blessed by God. But then what does it mean to be blessed? It sounds so religious, doesn't it? You know, it's a blessed day. You're so blessed. 
God bless you, I'm so blessed. Oh, bless your heart. And it sounds so religious, but what does it mean? Well, some have translated this word as being happy. To be blessed is to be happy. So happy are those who are poor in spirit. But you see, it's not really happy. Being blessed is not being happy, but happy is an emotion that changes, that goes up and down. I might be happy tomorrow and to, uh, today, and tomorrow when my coffee beans runs out, I might be sad. And so happy is an emotion. But being blessed is different. Being blessed is it's not a feeling. It's not an emotion. Being blessed is to have the approval of. Being blessed is to have the approval of. And so we sing songs, blessed be thy name. Bless the Lord. What does that mean? Well, we're actually approving of God, that he is glorious, that he is wonderful, that he deserves our praise and honor. So that's what it means when we bless God. But then when God blesses us, he's saying to us, you have my approval. My favor rests on you. You have my favor. I bless you. That's what it means to be blessed by God. But if you think about that, that is amazing. This is the God, the maker of heaven and earth, will look down on you, earthlings, and say, my favor, all my power and glory, my favor rests on you. I approve of you. I bless you. And so if you are blessed by God, well, that is the best life. That is the best life you can have. And that's the best life you can have now. But what are these blessings? Well, let's look at our passage. So please turn to Matthew 5. What are the blessings? Well, we read some here. Yours is the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. That means you are are one who belong to God. You are one who belongs in God's kingdom. And so what that means is that you have eternal life. That is to have the best life. That is a life that goes on. And so when you breathe your last breath here on earth, when your heart is failing, though your breath might stop, your heart will go on. Sounds a bit like a Celine Dion song, but what I mean is that you'll continue living. You have eternal life. What else do we see here to be blessed? You will inherit the earth. I mean, we live our life so absorbed by the things we can lay our hands upon, by the balance in our bank account. But God is saying here, to have the best life means you will inherit the earth. All that God owns will belong to you. We get so caught up by just the things we can lay our hands on. But God said, all of this will be yours. What else does this blessing include? You'll be comforted, you'll be filled, you'll be shown mercy. You will see God. You will see God. That is incredible. God is holy. God can't be anywhere near sin and sinners and rebels. But yet you earthlings will one day lay your eyes upon the holy God. I mean, Moses, the great Moses in the Old Testament, he wasn't even allowed to see God. He only got to see the trailing end of God's glory. But you, earthlings, will get to see God. You'll be caught sons of God. Sons of God. You'll be adopted into God's heavenly family as a son. Now, I know the ladies here, the women here, the girls here are thinking, what about the ladies? Can't, can't we be called daughters of God? Why, why son of God? 
Well, you see, in the ancient world, to be son means to be the heir. And so it's actually not a put, put down to call the ladies here sons of God because it means you are an heir of God and you will inherit all that is God's. And so this is to be blessed by God. All those things. God is saying, I approve of you. My favour rests on you and I bless you. And that is the best life. That is the great life. And so God, uh, uh, Jesus on the mount was saying to the crowd there, you guys can have all this. You can be blessed by God. So that's the first question. What are the blessings? Well, all those there. Now the second question, well, who are these guys? Who are the ones who can have this best life from God? Well, look at, we're going to work through the, this section called the Beatitudes, which just means blessing in Latin. So look at verse 3 with me. Blessed are the rich, they enjoy the great life. Is that what we see? No. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, Jesus is not saying here, blessed are you if you are that poor student who lives at home, who works at Maccas on 12 bucks an hour. Blessed are you, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. No, Jesus is not saying that. Jesus is not saying, blessed are you who live in poverty. It's not that. What it's saying here is, it's a recognition of spiritual inadequacy, spiritual bankruptcy. It's a bit like this. So on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being that wretched sinner, the worst of worst, and 10 is the saint. Think about your own life and who you are. Where would you put yourself? Where would you put yourself? I'm a minister. Well, ministers, they, they're, they're 10, right? Yeah. They're pretty good, right? But of course, being, being proud is not a good thing. You know, ministers should be humble, so maybe I'm just a five, okay? Well, what, about, um, what about the typical Aussie? I'm all right. I'm a pretty good bloke. Uh, I'm about a nine. What about you? What about the accountant? Where will you put them? You know, that's not meant to be anywhere. That's just up there. What about the second-hand car dealer? In Dandenong. <laughs> you know, where will you put them? Well, the poor in spirit. The poor in spirit says this. I am a one and nothing more. I am a one and nothing more. And so I plead to God. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And that's what a Christian is. That is what a Christian is. Have you noticed the... This is a good way to remember what Christians are. Look at, notice the spelling, Christ, I-A-N, Christ and Ian, Christ, I-A-N. Christ, I am nothing. A good way to remember what a Christian is. Christ, I am nothing. And so I turn to Christ. I beg for mercy. And God in his mercy gives you the best life, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Now let's look at verse 4. What do we read? Blessed are those who are always happy. They never know sadness, have no worries, concerns or stresses. Is that what we see? Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. 
Now, this is not saying you have to be the teary, cry-all-the-time type of person, the one who loves to watch chick flicks just so that you can cry and so that you can be blessed. It's not talking about that. What this is saying is, blessed are those who mourn over the sins of the world. Blessed are those who mourn over their own sins. And so when you consider the atrocities in this world, when you look at the news, when you see all those terrible things that human beings do to each other, does it sicken you? Do you mourn over that? Does it actually hurt your heart when people abuse each other? Do you grieve over the sins of the world? knowing this is what we've done to God's world? And do you mourn over your own sins? Now, I suspect that this is true not just for me, but also for you. I suspect that I am a worse sinner than you think that I am. I suspect that I'm more corrupt than you think I am. And I think the reverse is true too. I think you're, in fact, a worse sinner than I can see. You're, in fact, more corrupt than what I can see, because I don't see into your heart, and you don't see into mine. But what this is saying is, blessed are those who recognize, who mourn, and know I am corrupt, I am bankrupt, and who, like Paul says, what a wretched man I am, who will rescue me from this body of death. And so these people turn to God, turn to Christ in repentance, and they will be comforted. Verse 5, what do we see? Blessed are the bold and beautiful. I'm just trying to gauge if anyone watches that show, but that's good. No one got too excited. Verse 5, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. You see, Jesus turns things upside down here. It's not the bold. It's not those who are puffed up with confidence, who walk through this life thinking that they own it, who will inherit the earth. Rather, it's the meek, the gentle, the humble, those who recognize that they deserve nothing from God. I am nothing. I am that number one. I have no right to anything from God at all. They are the people who have a proper view of themselves. They are the contrite and the lowly in spirit. Now, Martin Lloyd-Jones, he puts it this way, and he puts it really well. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a great theologian and pastor. The man who is truly meek is the one who is amazed that God and man can think of him as well as they do and treat him as well as they do. The meek have a proper view of themselves. And these are the ones who will inherit the earth. Look at verse 6 now. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for money and success. They are the ones that make it in life. Is that what we see? Verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. What is this saying here? Well, this is saying that I don't have righteousness. I don't have it. I'm malnourished righteously. I don't have a right relationship with God. I don't live my life righteously. I thirst and hunger for it because I don't have it. Now, I wonder if you've 
ever experience real hunger. Now, we don't really get to experience this in Australia because we're so blessed here. But have you skipped one or two meals and your stomach churns and it feels like it's digesting itself? All the acids are going crazy. Have you felt that? And you hunger and thirst for that Big Mac and latte. Is that hunger? Well, well not really. Not, not really. Now, some of you may know that my parents and, and I uh, was one as well, uh, was a refugee from Vietnam. When my parents left Vietnam, I was still inside my, mom, uh, my mother's womb. When they left Vietnam on a boat, you know, like those boat people, they left Vietnam, didn't know where they would end up. They hungered and they thirst on that boat. There wasn't enough food. There was water, but wasn't much. And so what they did to make themselves feel full was that they just drank water. They thirst, they hungered. They hungered for the cow. We need a hunger and thirst, not for the cow, but for righteousness, because we don't have it. We don't have it. And to these guys who thirst and hunger to relate to God rightly, to live a righteous life in this world, well, they will be filled. They will be made righteous. Now, what about verse 7? Blessed are the hard and thick-skinned. They never let life hurt them. Is that what we see? And verse 7, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. You see, it's those who recognize that they are no better than anyone else, that I'm just as bad as you. I'm perhaps even worse than you. And if I know that, then I want to be merciful to you. I want to show you mercy because I know I'm bad myself and I want to be shown mercy. And so blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Verse 8. Blessed are the intelligent and the religious. They are popular. They are the respected one. No? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. You see, what's important to God is not your brains, not your religious activities. What's important to God is your heart, the center of your person. Out of the heart comes all evil, but God is interested in that. Blessed are those whose heart longs and yearns for what is good and right. And those guys will see God. What about verse 9? I learned this one yesterday. Blessed are the cheesemakers, for they will make cheese. No. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Now, it's not the troublemakers that are blessed, not those who fight and love to fight, the suicide bomber, but blessed are the peacemakers, those who promote peace between people, those who promote peace between man and God by holding out the message of peace, by holding out the message of the gospel, by holding out the message of Jesus' death and resurrection for them. It's the peacemakers who will be the heirs. The peacemakers who will be called sons of God. What about verse 10? Our last one. Blessed are the popular, those who experience no pain, no suffering, escape every trial in life. The world might think that way. But verse 10 says, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is 
It's the present tense. Is the kingdom of heaven. Now, isn't that strange? How can that be? Does it actually make sense? To be persecuted means to be blessed. It just doesn't make sense. But in case we're reading this wrongly, look at verse 11 and 12. Blessed are you. Notice the change in person. It changed from the third person to the second person. Not blessed are those, but blessed are you now. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me, because of Christ, for the sake of Christ. And so you can rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And so in the eyes of the world, if you are persecuted, you're the losers. You are those who are despised and rejected by the world. But in the eyes of God, you're the winners. You're the winners. But why must there be persecution? Well, we must remember the words of Jesus. John 15, No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. The world crucified our Lord Jesus. They're not going to treat us any better. The Apostle Paul, Philippians 1, For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. 2 Timothy, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus might be persecuted, maybe will be persecuted, no, will be persecuted. And so genuine Christians, genuine disciples of Jesus, will be hated by this world. And so if you think about that, it makes sense. You live a righteous life. You live a life that God desires. By implication, you condemn the world. Because by your living, you're saying, they're living the wrong way. Just try, try um, saying a few things or testing this out in life. Now try to say at your workplace, amongst your colleagues, at school, I think marriage must always be between one man and one woman. That's the institution of marriage. Muck around with that is wrong. How will the world treat you when you say that? Try saying abortion, it's, it's just like murder. You're killing a human being. Try say that at school, at work, in this world. Would they like it? No, they will persecute you. How dare you impinge on my rights? Now, on the world stage, persecution happens on a world scale. In, in this year, just this year in Egypt, almost 50 churches were burnt with all the violence that was happening. In Pakistan, uh, what we prayed for before, last month, 85 Christians were killed when two, two suicide bombers ran into the church and blew themselves up. In Pakistan, we also heard from Ian and Dorcas uh, this morning talked about these target killings that happened. In North Korea, there are about 300 Christians in North Korea. About one quarter of those Christians are believed to be living in forced labor camps because they refuse to join the national cult around their founder, Kim Il-sung. Christians face persecution in a total of 133 countries in the world. That's two-thirds of the world Christians are persecuted. Each year, 
about 150,000 Christians die, not because they just die, die because of their faith in Christ. Now, according to another study, the International Society for Human Rights, this is not a Christian group, but they observed that 80% of all acts of religious discrimination in the world today are directed at the Muslims? No. At the Buddhists? No. At the Christians? 80%. It means, what this means is that Christians are by far the most persecuted religious body on, on the face of the planet. Does that break your heart? To hear of these things? No, it doesn't break your heart. It's, it's shocking news, isn't it? But it should not be surprising. It should not be surprising. Jesus told us himself. But yet, if you are hated for the sake of Christ, you in fact have the best life. Is that strange? If you are hated for the sake of Christ, you in fact have the best life, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. You are the winners in this world. So that's the second question. The first one, what is the best best life? Well, to belong to the kingdom of heaven, to belong to God, part of his family. Who are they for? Well, they're for the poor in spirit, the meek, the merciful, those who thirst and hunger for righteousness, those who are persecuted. They are the ones that this blessing, all these blessings belong to. Now the third question, what difference is this meant to make on the world? Well, the difference, Jesus goes on to say, you are to be the salt and light of the world. Now, what did Jesus mean by that? Well, firstly, let's consider salt. I did a little bit of research. I checked Google. Do you know how many ways salt can be used? 14,000 ways. Now, 14,000 ways. And so I thought, no, that's too much to go through in our sermon. So I checked the Bible dictionary. There's about a dozen ways in which the Bible talks about salt. So just to give you a few. Salt used as a preservative. In the ancient world, they had no freezer, and so they preserved the meat by rubbing salt into it. Salt is also used as a seasoning for flavoring. Makes sense. Salt was also used as a symbol of the covenant, uh, ratifying agreements, and it became a symbol of that. And so in the Old Testament sacrifices, salt was involved. Just check out the passages, Leviticus 2, Numbers 18. Salt was also used as a symbol of cursing. And so if you didn't like your neighbor or your neighboring nations, you put salt in their land. And that will make the land infertile. Enough salt will damage the land. And so sowing salt was a symbol of cursing. Salt was also used in soil and manure to help in fertilizing. So a little salt is good, but too much will destroy it. Salt was also used as a symbol of friendship. You share salt together as you share a meal together. Salt also rubbed in newborn babies. don't think we do that anymore, but that's in Ezekiel. Salt also a means of paying taxes. And so when Jesus says, look at verse 13 with me. When Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. What did he mean? What did Jesus mean? Which of those? So look at verse 13, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. 
So what's Jesus saying there? Is he saying, you Christians are to be the preservatives in this world, to preserve moral order, moral goodness in this world? Or is Jesus saying, you are to be like the seasoning of this world? You Christians are to make this world taste good. Is that what Jesus is saying? Or is Jesus saying, you are to be the soldiers in the covenant people of this world? Well, there may be truth in all of those, but I think what Jesus is getting at here is actually clear in the passage itself. You don't actually need to know the different uses of salt to work it out. Because if you look at this passage, you actually see some parallels. Just as you are the salt of the earth, you are also the light of the world, and you're also the city on a hill. And so what's the common thing in those three images? The salt, the light, and the city on a hill. Well, salt is only useful if it remains salty. Light is only useful if it's allowed to shine. And a city on a hill, well, you can't stop a city on a hill from standing out. So what's the common, common thing in those three images? Well, Philip Jensen, he's a great Bible teacher, and he puts it this way. What's common is the need to be distinctive. The need to be distinctive. The need to be different. So Jesus is saying, you are the salt of the earth, the light of the world, the city on the hill, because you are different. You have to be different in this world. You have to be different from everyone else in this world. You must stand out. And so if you think about Christians who are persecuted, They are persecuted because they stand out. Ian and Dorcas Dines, who shared with us, if you consider their life in Pakistan, it will be remarkably, dramatically different from the lives of those around them. But then he goes on to say, Jesus, if you lose your saltiness, what is he saying? Well, if you lose your distinctiveness, you're no good. If you, as a Christian, blend in with the rest of the world, you're no good. You know, you're just worth being thrown out. No need for you. Or if you're the light of the world, you're meant to shine. But if your light is not allowed to shine, if it's covered, well, you're no good for anything. You're no good at all. Or what about the city on a hill? Well, what this is saying is that you, in fact, can't hide. You must stand out. Now, in the ancient world, just like being in the In the country today where there are no street lights, where it's pitch black, and at night, the only light that's guiding you is the light of the moon. But if at the distance you see a city on a hill, the light from that city will blaze into that pitch black. It will stand out. Stand out like a beacon. And so Jesus is saying here, if you are the blessed one, if you have the best life, if that is you, then you must be different. You can't blend in with the rest of the world. You must be different. In fact, it's impossible for you to be not different. And so that's why the world hates Christians, because you are different, and they will persecute you for it. And so you're, you're like the salt in their wounds, because your righteous living condemns them. And so it's impossible to be a disciple of Jesus, a genuine disciple of Jesus, but also Loved by the world. It's impossible to be both. Because if you are, then you've lost your distinctiveness. You've lost your saltiness. Your light has been covered up. Your very point for being in the world is gone. And so you are in the world, 
but you are not of the world because you are amongst the blessed. That is, to you belong the kingdom of heaven. And so what's the best life? What is the best life that we've seen today from the greatest sermon ever? What does it look like? Well, I suspect it's nothing like what we ever imagined. It's not the world's rich. It's not the world's famous. It's not the comfortable. It's not those who are beautiful, who have it all, who seem to go through life so easily. They do not have the best life. In fact, it's this. It's the poor in spirit. It's those who mourn over their own corruptness, their own sins. It is those who are meek. It is those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. It is those who show mercy. It is those who are the peacemakers. And it is those who are persecuted for the sake of Christ. If that is you today, if that is you, then you have the best life. For yours is the kingdom of heaven. And if that is you, then you are, you must, you in fact can't help but be the salt of the world, the light of the world and the city on the hill. Let's pray.